action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are continuing our celebration of 21st century queer cinema as we move on to 2011's Weekend, directed by Andrew Haig. Joshua. After meeting at a Nottingham nightclub, Russell and Glenn, played by Tom Cullen and Chris New, spend the night together in Russell's flat. The next morning, Glenn switches on a dictaphone and begins interrogating Russell about being gay, and the pair's discussion spills into the rest of the weekend as they spend the next two days talking, shagging, and testing each other's limits. But with Glenn moving to America at the end of the weekend, is this burgeoning romance doomed before it has a chance to really begin? Robert, is this the first British gay film to really make an impact since My Beautiful Laundrette? We're talking about back in 2011. Make an impact where? Here or worldwide? Uh, I would say worldwide. I don't think so, because Maurice was the late 80s. That was a big film for Merchant Ivory. Mm. Um, Beautiful Thing in the mid-90s. Oh, that was uh, time. Enough- oh, but it, was, it was big enough that Weinstein was involved in the American release. Was he? I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Oh. There was a film called Get Out, which did good at Sundance that I had on... Um, not get out get real get. <laughs> Slightly different there was film. a film by jordan peele that yeah. was called, really on the surface it was about <laughs> the black experience but really it was a a bipartisan queer film um yeah it was called get real and that did well at sundance um i think i mean i remember this coming out and this was a big big film at the time for me as a gay man just because we hadn't really seen anything like this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since something as truthful as this, where you thought, oh, those are sort of conversations that I have. Or it's not the usual narrative that the soaps and the ITV dramas and whatever. I always pick on ITV dramas, but <laughs> it's that kind of TV drama that... Um, you know, they play into, it wasn't a victim narrative. It was saying something different about the modern gay experience. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that ITV drama, because when you, if you looked at this from another perspective, it could, it could easily have become exactly that. Just sort of like a really tame sit down and have a chat with a cup of tea kind of ITV drama, but it doesn't do that. It, It actually it's quite it feels so authentic it feels so realistic it feels almost like a documentary which yeah clearly is you know andrew haig's style he'd made greek pete his first film Mm -hmm. was greek pete which um was sort of a completely non-judgmental look at the life of a a gay sex worker i think it was in london was it london or was it at was it nottingham or i can't remember i'm not sure i think london i mean i saw that that guy pete in a club Mm. once yeah right yeah. Say hi. No, that'd be weird. <laughs> Hello, I saw your film. No, um, I just saw him in the corner. Not an interesting I, story, but factual nonetheless. Yeah. I think it's interesting that even though it sort of, by all accounts, looks like a, you know, inverted commas, small British film, it actually mm. had such a massive impact. Like it was, I think it came out of 
South by Southwest, where it got absolutely rapturous response, which meant it had a, a big release in America, and then that impacted us in the UK. And mm. it's interesting that you can see its influence even now in other films, like there was a Henry Golding film that came out either last year or the year before called Monsoon. There was Beach Rats, which clearly we're a big fan of on the podcast. Simon Amstel mm-hmm. did a film called Benjamin. Ben mm-hmm. Wishaw did a film called Lilting. You know, all these films that are like slice of life, gay dramas, quite internal, quite modestly beautiful to look at. And they all focus on sort of like one character's emotional experience um, as a gay person, basically. So I think it's had such huge reach right into 2022 as we sit here now. Um, but in a way that sort of just like the film is so modest and unshowy, you know, it's not held up as this shining diamond of a film, even though we would perhaps say it is. Um, it's just like modestly doing its thing. And there's something really lovely about that. Yeah. And weirdly, my my friend Michael, I didn't know him at the time, but he told me that this is a film that really crossed over for him because suddenly it was being written about in non-gay press. Yeah. So he got to hear about it and was able to find it, get a ticket and go see it. So a real crossover potential. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was actually really lucky enough, I was lucky to meet and interview Andrew Haig and Chris mm. New actually to you know when they were doing promotion for this film. And I did ask Andrew Haig about if he kind of saw it as you know inverted commas a gay film um and he said weekends a film about gay people whether people call that a gay film is up to them really um so you know it's it's interesting sort of similar to i guess a single man where you can call it a gay film if you want to um it's very much about the gay experience but something about this and a single man i think did crossover um definitely i think marketing has a big you know a big is a big reason for that to happen you know there were posters for this film everywhere though it was getting into all the art house cinemas um so that is why i think it did cross over and that's great like the the conversations they have in this film like you said they are things that we have talked about they they feel like they still a lot of them still apply to experience today and how amazing that straight people could go and watch a film where gay characters are talking about gay life in in a way that is just unvarnished honest analysis essentially that's it and i think it's because it's been written from within the house yeah much in the same way that 12 or so years before queer as folk hit big because it was suddenly this authentic depiction written by a gay man possibly coming from a place of anger of right now i'm gonna write what i actually feel now i've got the chance to write without having to put it through the lens of uh, making it palatable for a tea time straight audience Mm -hmm. suddenly you've got a film that says exactly what it wants at exactly the right time in 2010 2011 which you know looking back was a bit of a, a turning point in this country you know, we five or six years previously, we got civil partnerships, mm. but we were pushing for marriage equality. Um, 
couple of people were murdered around that time in in London and Liverpool. So it just felt like the right film at the right time. Yeah, and it's I love the way it takes the um the kind of the format or the great tradition of the kitchen sink drama, you know, like Mike Lee or Ken Loach, and it does it with a gay story, um, which is fantastic. And, you know, I, it feels, you know, the first 10 minutes are basically Russell going to a house party. There's inane chatter about life and stuff, but not boring. You know, it's all character study. It's all showing us Russell in this environment where he doesn't quite fit. And it weaves in little details like he's been keeping a low pri- profile recently. He's godfather to his mate's kid. You know, all this little stuff that filters in to tell us who Russell is. Um, but it's it's classic kitchen sink. And it's lovely to see it finally kind of done for us, you know. But the themes are universal. Yeah. You know, Russell, Russell is not... He wasn't born into a gay environment. He didn't live in a gay house. He didn't go to... A, gay school with it ride a yeah. gay bike he doesn't work at a gay swimming pool he was born into the he was you know taken into care moved around foster homes it just so happens to be that he's gay and he works at a swimming pool and he lives in a council flat on like the 16th or the 16 mm. years on the 16th <laughs> on the 16th floor he doesn't work at a gay swimming pool he doesn't live in a gay flat yeah he just happens to be gay so there are themes there and obviously he has a problem with intimacy but there are themes there that non-gay people can can see themselves in yeah so i get what i get what andrew haig means when he says it's a film that has gay people in it's not necessarily a gay film but call it whatever you want yeah because russell is is a kind of he's just a guy who there's a great shot of him when he's standing he's working at the pool as a lifeguard and he's standing under a sign that says deep end and it's like he's about to plunge into um you know uncharted waters it's such a lovely little visual touch but yeah so i think you really can relate to him because he's he's like a, a quiet internal guy who's just sort of like seems to be getting by without really sort of living maybe and of course, that's why there's this sort of electric connection that he has with Glenn, because Glenn is, by his own admission, a gobshite. But he's yeah. somebody who um, is sort of like provocative in a way that's both positive and negative. You know, he he wants to have important conversations and he isn't afraid to a bit appear bullish about them. He believes in what he believes in to the mm. core but then negatively, he does attract negative attention because he is quite happy to live authentically as a gay man and unapologetically. So, you know, there's idiots who yell that he's gay and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, he, I think he knows that. Um, <laughs> he seems to be a almost a rebel yeah. without a cause. He's looking for a cause. He, he, he wants to be one of those romanticised um, LGBTQI plus activists that were around the time of Harvey Milk. Yeah. And maybe he feels hard done by that he's actually living in 2010, yeah. 2011. Exactly. England, where he's not being chased. You know, when someone said in the pub, oh, just keep the noise down. He's like, you you just don't want to hear a gay man gay noise. making noise. Yeah, yeah, gay noise. And the guy's like, no, I just it's want no you to mate. shut up because I'm yeah. having a drink. You know, I'm paraphrasing here. He's looking for that argument. Um, and you can kind of see that with his his art project where he wants it to be shocking 
Yeah. He wants it to be about people's sex lives, but he can't really focus enough on it or think about it deep enough to actually ask someone a question to inspire them to speak. He just says, just tell me about it. You just Ooh. talk. It's like, well, you need to put the effort in. You need to actually focus your your intentions. And he doesn't seem to do that in whatever activism. He just wants to be the angry gay. But mm. what is he angry about? Yeah, I guess, is it... So I'm reading a fantastic book that I recommend everyone reads at the moment. It's called Straight The Jacket. Shadow Glass. No, it's called ah. Straight Jacket by Matthew Todd. By Matthew Todd, yeah, and yeah it's I read that. tough fucking going. I'm really, it's brilliant, but it's a struggle actually because it, it really makes you sit and re- sort of think about your experience growing up as mm. a gay person. And, you know, I, you, I wonder if Glenn is sort of, he's our generation. Um, he's uh, of the generation that grew up under Section 28. He would mm-hmm. have grown up with people shaming him whether consciously or or unconsciously and so it's almost like he he's still fighting even though um the fight isn't won but it's sort of like why why are you fighting when you when you don't know who are you fighting now Mm. and and why and it's it's almost like him and russell have the same issue and it's like you said it's intimacy so uh glenn has had a a relationship that crashed and burned so he's not going to commit to anybody and russell has an issue with sort of public displays of affection and actually like actually committing to being gay you know like he he could probably commit to a relationship but can he commit to being gay and on the flip side glenn has fully committed to being gay but he can't commit to a, a relationship and i think that they're interplay is just fucking lightning in a bottle i think it works so brilliantly and glenn is almost like pushing his boundaries like he leans into his personal space looking for a reaction while he's making a cup of tea yeah 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 but but that's glenn is more used to this i imagine this is not glenn's first time at the rodeo and obviously it's not russell's first time at the rodeo but I i i think glenn glenn is more accustomed to affection Russell is more accustomed to anonymous sex. Hmm. So Russell comes alive when it gets sexual, but when it's intimacy, that's when Russell shuts down. And that's what I found really interesting. Yeah, like just talking into a dictaphone. Yeah, or or even just, you know, when Glenn leans in to be affectionate when he's making the when Russell's making a cup of tea, Russell sort of turns hmm. to the side and sort of blocks it ignores it politely and sort of steers the conversation in a different direction. And I really yeah. enjoyed that character interplay. I'd like the fact that they're, you know, they're a foil yeah. to one another in that respect. They're the, yeah, they're absolutely. The, of the same um, And I, I love that you see his bubble start to sort of get burst. So he, he offers Glenn a, a backy on the bike going back from the swimming pool. Which he probably he wouldn't have done the day before. He would have bit felt uncomfortable with that, but he does it, and you kind of you start to see him opening up, like he shows him his armpits, you know, things like that, that are just like really lovely, sweet moments. There's that line that Glenn talks about 
he talks about the gap between oh, yeah. who we are and who we want to be. And I guess that's kind of the thesis of the film. They're both acting in a particular way. And I guess the the arc for both of them and you know, the if you believe in this sort of thing, mm. the universe has brought them together in order to draw out in themselves what they admire so much. Yeah. About and the do other you, person. Do you think that it's sometimes easier to be yourself around strangers? No, I, d- I don't know. I, I know I'm more comfortable around people that I trust 100%. And also that I like, you know, if you if you like someone, even even just as a friend, then <laughs> you can say stupid things or you can joke around knowing that you have that, that safety yeah. of the circle of trust. But when you're around, no, when you're around strangers, you kind of have to be like the yeah. best behaved version of yourself because you're testing you're testing the waters especially you know me and my friends and and you we all have quite a dark sense of humor so if anyone was to listen to some of the conversations we had they'd probably get <laughs> triggered and uh, cancel you you cancel you delete your account when really we just we're all quite self-effacing yeah, yeah, yeah. so we use a lot of irony very sarcastic because that's a defense coping yeah exactly that's like a defense coping mechanism yeah. that we've used i definitely i definitely sort of um identified with the line when glenn said when you've been around friends when you've been friends with someone for too long you become cemented and they won't let you be another version of yourself um like that's a really interesting I, observation I that, that i think can be true definitely but there is a comfort to that as well yeah, I've got a friend. Got I've got friends. a friend, not you, different friend, um, who I've known for you about. Have other friends. I've got more friends than you and your cat. I have other friends, and <laughs> um, the whole time, um, I yes, I've known him just a little less time than I've known yeah. you, like literally a few months. And every so often we'll talk, and he'll go, "Bang on, you've changed." I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "But you said X, Y, and Z." And I was like, "When did I say that?" And he goes, "Wow." 2004 i was like yeah well obviously <laughs> obviously people change that's the point you're meant to if you're not changing yeah something is wrong but i understand i, I get what glenn is saying that maybe it's maybe it's a coping mecha- mechanism for your friends that they see you and they sort of become a they they like mm-hmm. the version that they met of you so if you change maybe that's kind of threatening because look i've got certain people who i don't really speak to anymore because you meet them at certain points in your life and then you have fun you go out drinking your friends but then eventually you just suddenly mm. realize that, oh i'm drifting from this person's because i'm changing they're changing either for the better or for the worse but whatever you're changing and you're no longer yeah, friends absolutely. with that person because it's not compatible so maybe it's a defense thing where if you see someone, you know, maybe it's all, all happening on the subconscious. You see someone acting in a certain way and you think subconsciously, this doesn't compute with the way yeah. that I want them well, to I think be. I don't want them to change. It's like any relationship. Either you grow together or you grow apart. And, you know, I think there's probably quite an equal split yeah. in my life of those two things happening. And the friends that I've grown together with, they don't haven't necessarily got had the same experiences as me. You know, I've got one of my absolute best friends. She's a mother 
of a, you know a three-year-old and she's married and she's got a mortgage and all the you know all these things that I don't have and yet for some reason we've remained friends and I think it's probably because we still have the same sense of humor you know we still kind of think about life in generally the same way it do, you know just because we have completely different experiences now doesn't mean that we've grown apart in fact we've come closer maybe she wants that book money give me the shadow glass money oh, yeah well good luck um <laughs> It's definitely, it's like an interesting analogy for coming out as gay, trans, queer, you know, it's people have a certain idea about you and, you know, coming out as a teenager mm. or like, you know, in early twenties, in your early twenties, um, you know, that's the time when you're sort of declaring your identity and that's when you're probably very emotionally vulnerable as well. Um, so it's like a, it's a real loaded moment in your life when you're saying, you're claiming your identity and people don't necessarily agree or they don't see you that way because they've seen you your whole life in a completely different way. Or they do see you in in the modern parlance of I seeing see you. you. They accept that you are gay, but they have a very odd view of what yeah. it means to be gay. So it's almost like you get pigeonholed into this this yeah this descriptive gay way that they want you to be and often there's a, a little bit of a, a pushback on that you know i'm always always told and it's all it happens very it happens you know quite often that people go oh i didn't know yeah. you were gay or oh, you don't seem gay a compliment and they say it like that's meant to be a compliment i think that's a that's a really strange that's a really strange thing and actually or they'll say oh I, I thought i always knew you were i always thought you were it's like oh well you should have told me because <laughs> I, I didn't know yeah. how did you know i didn't know um but i i was having i was having some drinks i was actually having a cup of tea they were drinking a bottle of wine because i've kind of quit drinking for the time being <laughs> no, i've been doing that too, um it? yeah it's Absolutely. way healthier and better for the bank balance yeah. i could buy more books to put in the pile that don't get read marvelous um but we were talking about promiscuity and she went, oh yeah, but you know, you're, you're gay. Of course you're promiscuous. You're, you're promiscuous. And I was like, no, that, the two don't go hand in hand naturally. It's not yeah. like that. It, you know, and I had to say, no, I know plenty of, you know, non-promiscuous gay men. It's, it's just yeah. a, a strange really stereotype. Is. Do you think that this story, because obviously all the conversations that happen in, in this story, do you think that it could still be told today or has 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 anything changed since 2011 so it's been like what 11 years yeah i was thinking is this a a, a sign of the gay times as in <laughs> not not the magazine yeah um <laughs> yeah, copyright um i think the themes are timeless right um both the the, the gay themes and also the growing up in the care home themes the wanting to leave where you live because it's bland and you want to go somewhere adventurous like america that's timeless that's that's been happening since the 50s you know um you know that's what american graffiti is about in fact that's what all george lucas films are about trying to get out of where you are <laughs> sand it gets everywhere right so the themes are i think if this was to be remade now it would be more to do with the queer non-binary aspect of the LGBTQI plus community as it is 
now. Um, much in the way that Queer as Folk has got an American reboot and it's very much about, it's very diverse. There's people of colour in the cast. Um, it's not just about gay men. Um, I haven't seen any episodes because I don't think it's um, aired over here. But from what I understand, the opening um, features a a Pulse-like shooting in, the, in a gay club or in a queer club. Um, so it, it's very up to the the hot minute um i think there are certain things like the i'd actually forgotten like i was slightly nervous about going back to this film because i loved it so much when i watched it in 2011 and i was a bit nervous about going back to it because i'd actually misremembered that i thought that russell wasn't out to his friends um but actually that's not the case at all it's so refreshing that he is out to his friends they don't have an issue whatsoever with him being gay it's entirely internal. But it's baby steps, isn't it? Yeah. Coming out isn't like throwing a switch. Getting... It's like yeah, walking up the garden path. You leave the hut and it takes a while to get to the big house of outness. Like an 8-bit character walking in slow motion. <laughs> did, did. Yeah, yeah. You've got to complete the... You know, you've got to get all the coins and kill the Coopers. Yeah. and But it's interesting that he is almost um, Russell. He's almost uh, not nostalgic, but sort of like there's, there's a poignancy to the fact that he never got to have a coming out experience with his parents because they died. So it's that's such a mm. like, oh, that's just such a fascinating idea that this thing that can be traumatic or historically has been traumatic for a lot of queer people, which is coming out to your loved ones. He never got to have that experience, whether it would have been positive or negative. So he's got this strange nostalgia about it. Yeah, but it's it's nice that Russell is, you know, mm. he's able to drop his angry shtick long enough to sort of bring about some of the change that he's so yeah. desperate to be the propellant of. He's actually able to give that moment Glenn, yeah. to Russell. Glenn's able to reach down. Yeah, the and that's and that moment was so so beautiful and you're waiting for glenn to fuck it up by being flippant there's, there's a scene where he he sort of like role yeah. plays russell's dad and uh, russell comes out to him and you're mm. waiting for glenn to be like yeah i knew anyway or are you fucking piffed or something like making make it into a joke but he doesn't he's like <laughs> i love you just the same and it's almost there's something else happening in that moment as well because it's almost like Glenn wanted a reason to tell Russell that he loved him without having to say it himself. He says it in the guise of Russell's father. Mm. It's like, yeah, absolutely. But you think that's Glenn saying it as well? I know, but, but it's the sentiment of it, I think, night. that he wanted to, to convey rather than right. maybe necessarily meaning it sort of, you know, literally. Does, does this kind of, what we've been discussing, does this make it less of a love story and more of an awakening story? Yeah, well, I love the fact that they are sort of like self-aware enough in the final moments to sort of reference Notting Hill. You know, Russell takes meets Glenn at the station to see him off on the train. And that, you know, they do say, oh, a, a stereotypical ending to this supposed film of our life would have been, I chase you, confess my love. And all that kind of stuff. And it it does... You do get a sense of, of love or potential for love between them. Because the way that they talk to each other before Glenn gets on the train... And, you know, we don't get to hear a lot of 
what they say it's very artfully well, any of it really except yeah towards the end. oh yeah it's, yeah it's exactly. very lost in translation um, but it's lovely because it, it is sort of like they it's really poignant because there is that clear love between them you can imagine that they will meet up again in two years time and even if they don't that's okay you yeah. know because they were right mm. for each other in this very specific moment in both of their lives and so my question from that is, what is the significance of Glenn giving Russell the dictaphone at the end? I think it's too personal to include in the project. For all the others that Glenn has asked to record, they're just flings. They're yeah. just anonymous sex. This this actually has an emotional connection, like a deeper emotional connection. So it's too personal for Glenn to put in because yeah. the project is quite flippant. And I think Glenn sees that this is not a flippant connection, but also it's a memento for mm-hmm. Russell to keep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I kind of took it as, I took it as meaning that Glenn's quote-unquote project is now over, and he's not going to be doing this anymore, kind of thing. And you know, you could read into that meaning he's done with casual you know encounters you could read that as meaning that you know keep hold of my dictaphone for me i'm coming back for it you know kind of thing um there's so many different i thought the old lady put it in the ocean <laughs> yeah, at the end exactly <laughs> so i don't for me i don't think it really matters that they aren't physically together at the end because it's not a traditional straight romantic comedy no i mean it's not it's not right. a well, it's not a comedy to start with but it's not it's not a traditional love story where they have a meet cute they will they won't they for an hour and a half and then they do it's the yeah anti-rom-com non-rom-com non-rom-com i think they're and i think the funny thing about watching it again now in 2022 is that at the time in 2011 when i first watched this film and when for when glenn first reveals at the end of the first act that he's going away to america for two years that felt like catastrophic when I was watching it in the cinema in 2011. It was just like, no, you're so perfect for each other. But like weirdly in a post-COVID world, it doesn't seem that long. And actually (laughs) (laughs) we live in a world where there are so many new ways to connect with each other. You know, the world feels smaller than it did even 10 years ago. It's crazy to think that, but it is. Are the sex scenes gratuitous and only for titillation? Um, No, I don't think, I think they are a continuation of this idea that it's so authentic. It just feels, it feels authentic. And again, like we discussed in Handmaiden about what it, what the sex tells us about the characters, you know, there's the thing about the fact that Russell has only bottomed once, I think, and he didn't enjoy it or it was just a bit strange for him. And then he sort of gives Glenn permission to top him. And that's actually like one of the Mm. most, that's one of the biggest signifiers of their affection for each other. You know, it's like, that's the, that's the love scene. That's the the declaration of love scene in this. Well, that's this film's version of that is the fact that he allows Glenn to top him. (laughs) And it's a lovely scene. It doesn't feel like a sex scene, weirdly. It just feels lovely and sort of emotional. So you're saying this is the scene in, Four weddings and the funeral where he's standing yeah. in the rain. I'm just standing just in boy. the rain asking yeah, I'm just a boy you to top me. Another boy to top me. 
I really liked the matter of factness of the sex. And actually, it was funny when I, when I interviewed Chris New, who played Glenn. Um, I said to, I said to him, you know, uh, is it was it weird because obviously he gets his cock out in the film. Like, how did you approach those those set those naked scenes? And he was like, you know, it's kind of funny where um, when you're an actor, you can put a funny voice on, you can like change your hair, all this kind of stuff. But when it's your dick, it's just your dick. You know, there's no acting that. <laughs> that's that's always stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> That was Weekend, directed by Andrew Haig. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up in the next episode. We are feeling fantastic. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify so you don't miss that episode. Joshua. And we're on Twitter at Pod. Come just tell us how much you love Weekend, basically. We are off to give each other a backing. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Cut. Leave it to me. Scotch lassie cherry smash lemon freeze I wanna go to Mars where green rivers flow and your sweet 16 is waiting for you after the show I wanna go to Mars You'll meet the gold dust twins tonight You'll get your heart's desire I will meet you under the lights Sixteen is waiting for you after the show.